We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. This is episode 285 and this is the second part of my interview with Ted Dintersmith. I hope that you enjoy it and we're going to jump right in. Thanks so much for listening to Transformative Principal. So I'd like to talk a little bit about some some ways that we can do things at the school classroom level, what have you, to to really make some changes. A lot of teachers feel powerless to make those changes. A lot of principals feel powerless to make those changes, but they do have the ability to do things within the walls of their classroom. So I got to say here, your innovationplaylist.org, if you if you were listening and you haven't been to innovationplaylist.org, that is a wonderful website. This last year, I spent a lot of time working in my district to create a K-12 magnet that would be doing school differently. And unfortunately, our school board didn't say, let's go ahead with that. And so that is not on the table for next year. And I'm really bummed about that because I was really looking forward to, to moving in that direction. But I used Innovation Playlist for these 10 different community meetings that we that we put together and used it to help spark the conversation. And so what are some some little things that people can do to start changing how they do education, even at a classroom or school level? Yeah. Well, maybe, I mean, it might be useful to just briefly talk about my journey on this, which started with, um, you know, sort of recognizing the urgency of changing what we do I think to our kids at school instead of what we do for our kids in school, what we do to our teachers in the classroom instead of for our teachers. 
And, and honestly, if you backed up the clock a while, I, I would have said, boy, we need to change everything like overnight. And then, you know, when I started traveling, you know, and I did this film most likely to succeed, which if people love it, give the credit to the director, Greg Whiteley. But, and then I turned down Netflix, which a lot of people said was a bad idea, but you know, we'd done, I'd, I'd say 10,000 community screenings in 35 different countries. And I travel with that. And every once in a while, somebody would say, we saw the film, we're changing everything overnight. And then like two or three months later, it was a nightmare. And, and you realize that's not the way existing organizations make progress. You know, that when you try to do everything all at once, you know, kind of the sharp knives come out because people, people are nervous. People, you know, can be very uncomfortable with change, particularly parents who want school to be the way it was when they went to school. And their kids are their most precious, you know, thing in life. I mean, that's what they, they, they cherish their kids. They fight for their kids. And so, you know, you got to kind of get people aligned and energized about this. And then I started traveling. I did this trip where I went to all 50 states to look at what was really working in the field and to start to evolve some sort of a, a sensible change model. And, and that sort of shows up now in this curated resource called the Innovation Playlist, or as you say, www.innovationplaylist.org. And, and just sort of thoughtful, supportive resources that trust teachers to lead the way in innovation but with safe, small steps that over time lead to big change. And I've done things at the state level now with that in Hawaii and North Dakota and Virginia, kicking off something this summer in Rhode Island, have real interest in Connecticut, Kansas. You know, they, like it's, it's, it's got some, I think, potential, but it, but it really says start small with things that you know work, but set the preconditions for success. You know, let your community understand why same old, same old is actually impairing children's futures, why we need to reimagine education. Have your community sort of define what they think are the essential competencies for your kids in school. You know, what, what do you want your kids to be good at? I think it's very powerful for each community to take that on themselves. Start to look for the success points in your school, which I think is really important to put a positive perspective on the innovation because every school is doing some things right, doing maybe a lot of things right. And then start encouraging teachers, particularly the innovators. And what I find is, you know, it varies, but if any school you go to in America has a bunch of teachers innovating, itching to innovate. And if you support them, if you don't wail on them, if you say, we, we are so behind you, you know, when the rest of the teachers see what happens, when the kids can't wait to be in school, when the predictions that test scores will plummet, but you find that every kid that's anxious to be in school, who's just mind is racing all school day, they tend to do just fine on those state mandated tests, as bad as those tests are. You know, once you let the innovators sprint and they realize it's safe to sprint, you'll start to see the runners run and the joggers jog and, you know, the walkers walk. And, and I would say like, if you've got teachers that just don't want to do anything different, you know, all I think that makes sense is to ask them to keep an open mind, you know, don't drag down the process, but keep an open mind about what these micro innovations, these small steps are doing to draw kids into a learning process that start to transfer more of the learning to the student, that start to align more of the learning with the real world. And so we've got this resource, you know, the innovation playlist that kind of curates great nonprofit initiatives or great classroom practices. And what's really exciting is we're getting schools all over the country say, hey, we're doing this. What do you think? And, and I offer these micro grants to support capturing it on a really good video so somebody else can watch a five to 15 minute video and see, oh my gosh, look at what they did in this school or look what this classroom teacher did in 
Fargo, North Dakota, or this district did in Hopewell, Virginia, or this complex or district did in, you know, Hawaii doesn't have districts, but in this complex in the poorest area of Hawaii, you start to say, man, there's some really bold, great innovations going on across the country, but this is important. Don't copy it. Just listen to it, observe it, and in your own way, decide, is this something that might work for our community? And if it is, what's the safest, easy, small step we could take to gain some experience? I think that's an innovation change model that really has the potential to work. And as I said, it trusts teachers to lead the way. It it respects their role in crafting learning experiences that reflect the needs and the, the, the interest of their kids, that reflect their own you know, expertise and their own passions and, and points of contact with those students. I think if we start to do that, we can start to generate real energy around schools moving forward. And then back to, you know, sort of make it tie together some things. Recognize, as you said so well earlier, it's the journey where we learn. It's not that we're going to get to this end destination and say, we're there. This is what we should do forever. We're never going to get there. It's that journey where the real learning takes place. And so if we say, man, as we start to head down a path to more innovative practices, recognizing we're not trying to copy this that's done somewhere else. We're not going to get to some destination and say, whew, mission accomplished. We're going to always be rethinking what we're doing. We're going to always try these small, safe experiments. We're always, we're always going to encourage our kids and our teachers to be really creative and coming up with new and bold things that work for them at that moment in time with those sets of needs from their community. I think that's that's going to be the definition of success in education in America. Yeah, I, I love that thing you added there at the end about the communities just defining that level of success for themselves. One of the, the things that I believe that we're heading towards in education is this idea of having hyper-local schools, which are, instead of being these big, huge districts that have, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 kids in them, where there is no way that you can possibly make a decision from the top that affects the all the kids equally well in your district, it's really got to be about that community saying this is what's important. And us being the drivers of that as a community, rather than, you know, letting someone who, you know, has six layers of separation from the from the school make those decisions for them. And I think that that aspect is really, really important. And you know, so let's take here in Fairbanks or anywhere in Alaska, for that matter, where the native way of doing things is really highly valued and important. And, you know, our our state school board and legislature says we have to include Alaska native things in our schools. But the reality is, is that our schools are not Alaska native places. And so they're not they're not conducive to the way that they learn and the way that they pass on information to the next generation. And so we need to do a lot of things to make it so that just that aspect is is taken care of. And when I was down in Kodiak, one of the things that we did down there was we had a lot of more opportunity and flexibility to be out in the world than we do in this more urban area up here in Fairbanks. And just that aspect of getting outside and being in the community is really powerful. And it's just one of those little things that, you know, it doesn't take a lot of money or a lot of real effort. It's usually pretty simple to just go to the place where 
people live and do things and, excuse me, start to experience that. So I think that that idea of really focusing in is, is really, really powerful. I would, I would encourage any, any of your listeners in Alaska or anywhere, really. I, you know, when I was in Alaska on that trip, I spent, it was fabulous. I mean, I spent, I had a great experience in Alaska, but I spent three days in, in Western tribal villages. So I was in uh, one of the hub villages, Bethel, and then one of the uber remote communities, Tentatuliak. And I just learned so much from those visits and those interviews and those meetings and those, you know, getting to know some of the students. And, you know, you, you realize how unbelievably dedicated the teachers are, but at the same time, how disconnected so much of the student learning was from the world around them. And, and you, and you just say the opportunities for kids to be inventive and creative in their science and engineering endeavors in a school in a sustenance village. I mean, it's, there are enormous opportunities, but I didn't see that happening. They, they emerged in a native tongue, you know, early and continuing of that through high school. So important. I saw some of that, but, but in that high school, you know, these kids were required to take two years of German and they may have changed that since my visit, but I mean, like, Oh my God, you're like, why, why would anybody in the United States at this point be required to take German to graduate from high school? That's I think, a very fair question. I mean, it makes no sense. But, you know, to, to, to block a kid from getting a high school degree over something like that, I mean, that's lunacy. And, you know, in, with, in a school where the graduation rate was like 50%. And it's not that the teachers don't want to do it. You know, they know that, that insisting that kids read Chaucer, but it doesn't make sense. You know, like it, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense for me. And I was an English major in college. You know, like, why would it make sense for a kid in a Western tribal village in Alaska to have to read Chaucer? I mean, you know, where's this coming from? And I think where it's coming from is places like Princeton, New Jersey, and and Washington, D.C., and New York City, where education PhDs decide what every kid in America needs to study. And some of them say you build character by reading Chaucer. And, and you're like, if, if 0.01% of the population in America loves Chaucer, I have nothing against Chaucer, but I have a whole lot against making a kid read Chaucer in high school. And then there'll be somebody that listens to this and says, man, this guy, Ted, is so so out of touch with what's important in building a kid's appreciation of, of civilization's arc. Yeah. But, but, but they're wrong. You know, like, like kids should be reading what they're interested in. And, and the role of a teacher should be to support a kid that starts by reading something to broaden it over time to more and more ambitious, challenging things. And maybe eventually some kids find poetry interesting and get to older poetry and get to, to Chaucer. And that's a great thing. But let's start with things that get kids excited and build from there instead of shoving stuff down the throats of our kids and teachers that, you know, a minuscule number of people in America, you know, have a have a passion for, but they happen to sit on some committee that decides what every language arts high school kid needs to study. I mean, that just can't be a sensible way to architect education in America. Yeah. One of the things that we did at my school this year was when a moose gets hit in Alaska, then the Alaska state troopers have a list of people they call to come and get the carcass so that they can use it. And so one of our science teachers was on the list and he was able to go get the moose carcass. And then he brought it into the school and taught the kids how to cut it up for usable meat and sent a bunch of kids home with some hamburger meat. And I got to tell you, like those kids were so engaged and they were super excited and loving every single minute of it. And it was one of the best experiences at our school 
And, you know, even our custodian, who's an old Alaska native lady, she got in there and like taught the kids how she learned from her grandparents how to cut up the moose. And it was just, it was amazing. It was so much fun and so worth the quote unquote disruption to our regular school day. It was just awesome. So I mean, I got to stop you there because it's such a powerful <laughs> observation and, and to get some credibility back with my literature experts that are listening, you know, to quote Blake, to see the universe in a grain of sand, you look at that example about a moose carcass. I, I mean, would, would you ever want to have a school in Princeton, New Jersey, have that as part of their school day? I mean, you know, like that wouldn't make sense in Princeton, New Jersey, but in Fairbanks, Alaska, it makes an enormous amount of sense. And when you look at that support staff, that custodian and the amount of expertise and people that are at our schools, adults at our schools that aren't classroom teachers narrowly, but have, have things they really understand. The amount that kids can learn from Native cultures, from elders in their community. I mean, there are enormous amounts of learning to be had. If we just said what a kid in Fairbanks does, what that school day is about, should really be intentionally quite different from what somebody in Upper East Side Manhattan is doing. I mean, that's a good thing, not something to fear and flee from. And and yet it all comes down to, do we trust teachers in Fairbanks? Do we trust teachers in Tuscaloosa? Do we trust teachers in Princeton? I think these teachers, by and large, will make great decisions on behalf of their kids. And, and I can't believe that if other teachers in Alaska heard that you guys were hopping on a moose carcass and having this be a, an eye-opener for kids in terms of the history of cultures and uh, language arts and biology, and, you know, like, and learning to think like a scientist, that there wouldn't be others that would say, hey, we're on that. I mean, we might do, we might do it around something else. We might do it, I don't know what, some other animal, I don't know. But anyway, in our own way, we might replicate this. You'd find a lot of pent-up innovation in schools all across Alaska that would say, finally, the, the, the chains are off. We can do what we know. We'll get our kids excited and teach them important disciplines and important critical skills. Yeah, absolutely. So the last question that I ask everybody, Ted, is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Well, you know, I mean, the jury's out on how transformational I am. I mean, I work hard. That's all I could say. But I say to people that, you know, it's a fight, right? I mean, it, 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 we started talking about how, you know, the day-to-day grind and the, the, the edicts coming from legislators and the Department of Education policies and the accountability metrics, you know, there are a million reasons to just say, man, this is a hard fight. I'm tired. But I would say like, like just spend some time with young kids, eight, nine and 10 year olds who look up in your eyes and they're like trusting us to make good decisions on their behalf. And I think we collectively know that today, by and large, we're making bad decisions on their behalf. And so to me, of all the fights we could take on, this is the most important fight we can take on. And what I would say to, to anyone is, what can I do differently tomorrow? And, and so if you're listening to this and you're out of school, what are some things you can do to get really energized when you start the school year? You know, I love for people to go to the innovation playlist because it sort of lays out a set of suggested resources so that, you know, our, our target for that resource is the change agents in a school. And they're there are change agents in every school. I mean, so it's teachers. It could be a principal. That's ideal. It could be parents. It could be some students. But we've got two and a half, three months now between now and the start of the next school year to enter that school year with a running start. So, you know, 
check out that resource. Maybe there are others you think are great. I, I don't really care where it comes from, but what can we do to make sure this school year that, that takes place, 1990, yeah, 1990, it tells me, I'm dating myself, 2019 to 2020, this upcoming school year just isn't like the last two, three decades of school years and, and serve our kids well with a reimagined view of what we can do, but do it in a way that kind of makes everybody feel positive. You know, if it's not a massive overhaul, but it's encouraging the, the most innovative teachers to sprint and letting that be contagious, unleashing kids on projects they care more about. You know, I think you start to do a little and that little bit turns into a lot. And this uh, I'll sort of close with a saying I love, which is change happens slowly right up until it happens quickly. And I think there are an awful lot of schools in America that are beginning to make that transition from slow change to fast change. And this school year may be our opportunity to see that acceleration point. That's wonderful. Thank you so much again for being part of Transformative Principle. If you are not yet, you should follow Ted on Twitter at Dintersmith. And thank you again so much for being part of Transformative Principle, Ted. Thank you. Thanks for all you're doing. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.